Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast, where my co-host David Partain and I talk with thought leaders throughout the advisory industry. We seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses while also deepening client relationships. David, during times of uncertainty, it's always good to have a network of people to talk with, to bounce off ideas, and to get an outsider's view or an opinion I always find to be very helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's not just in business, that's also in life. So I'm looking forward to today's discussion. You know, many advisors are also seeking the help of professional investment managers to deliver tested portfolio management for the clients they serve and are also seeking guidance to help their investors stay on track. Uh, FlexShares has just completed our sixth biennial advisor survey in 10 years, where we seek to understand advisors' attitudes about the use and adoption of third-party money managers for client accounts. Today, we'll be talking with Jonathan Bernstein, Partner and Director of Sales and Marketing at Stringer Asset Management in Memphis, Tennessee, although, Jonathan, I think you sit in Texas. Um, (laughs) Jonathan and Stringer Asset Management have a passion for understanding the behavioral finance issues that can impact the long-term success of a portfolio's performance or, more importantly, the ability for an investor to realize their long-term goals. Jonathan's career spans 25 years where he served as a financial advisor, a consultant to financial advisors for their institutional and high net worth clients at a major wirehouse firm in New York. He also headed up the practice management consulting group for a successful regional firm and runs the sales and consulting efforts for Stringer Asset Management. That's a long career on the front lines of the financial services industry. And Jonathan, we are thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Jonathan, you've had long had an interest in behavioral finance investing. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea of when you started thinking about investor behavioral biases. I had some time to really think about this question. And th- this is a crazy one, but I've come to realize that I've always been engaged in, in behavioral science, behavioral fun- finance, even way before it was cool, I guess you might say. I think every sales job, every job where you're engaging with the public, every training is really based and heavily steeped in behavioral science. It's really interesting that way. As I progressed through really my retail practice where I started my career, I really started to come across all sorts of biases, whether it be amongst individual investors who suffer from things like recency bias and anchoring and prospect theory, which we'll cover as we go along, but also 
just observing markets, the tech bubble, the great financial crisis, what I guess we would call now the virus crisis, you really see herd mentality come into play. And that's deeply ingrained in who we are just through survival instinct as, as human beings. And I think most advisors really just live in that world of behavioral challenges more than anything else. Well, of course, we all want to be cool, Jonathan. So, yeah, I, I believe that you're right <laughs> on the cutting edge of being cool here. <laughs> as, as someone who actually uh, played into probably many of these biases and bought penny stocks when they were all the rage back in the early part of my career, how has this interest and understanding of behavioral biases translated and what you're doing today for Stringer? Yeah, I, I think we've really done something innovative here in the asset management industry. Uh, and it really is what we call taking behavioral finance from theory to practice. I would guess over the last 20 years or so, the financial services industry has really started to embrace behavioral science. And I think it, it probably started with, with Dan Kahneman, along with the late Amos Tversky, they got the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2002 for their work in behavioral finance. And I think that opened the door for a lot of folks, people like, like Richard Thaler, who wrote Nudge. One of my favorites, Dan Ariely, wrote The Upside of Irrationality in 2010. Stephen Levitt did Freakonomics. These were all very popular, and it really started to leach into the financial services industry. These people were brought in as, as keynotes at industry events and conferences. Financial services firms started adding all this content to their training. So it really became important, but the problem was is that it was all very theoretical. Everybody would sit and listen to it, and they would say, wow, Again, this is really cool. It's something they recognized that was happening in their practice, but then that's it. Then it became the definition of insanity, right? They'd go back to their offices and keep doing the same thing that they were doing and expect something different to happen. So I think there was this, this vacuum and there was a space there where we were trying to innovate and create a process that now really helps us address behavioral biases of not just ourselves, but our clients. Which, which I think is very interesting. So again, taking behavioral finance from theory to practice. We had Stephen Levitt at our Flexures Investment Summit last year around this time. He had some really, he's really a fascinating speaker as well as a great writer. Brilliant. Okay, so now that I've admitted my penny stock behavioral issue problems, a personal question for you, how do you address your own behavioral biases? Yeah, that, that, that's a big one. One of the things that you had, when, especially when you're an asset management firm, um, you have to do is uh, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem before you can solve it. <laughs> one of the biggest problems, I, I think, with most asset managers, people that have had successful careers, um, arguably is overconfidence. That's one of the biggest biases there is out there and probably one of the most dangerous biases we have. Uh, there was an interview with, with Dan Kahneman where they asked if he could wave a magic wand, which bias would he eliminate? And his answer was overconfidence, and it makes a lot of sense. So as an asset manager, you try and put in processes that maybe will address this. I think one of the most important and one of the most groundbreaking things we do, and we didn't invent this, but we use something called multi-scenario analysis, right? So multiple scenario analysis, we call it MSA. And again, we didn't invent it. It's a process used by the CIA. They use it in cancer treatment. 
the basis for MSA is that you're not just looking for the next idea that's going to work. You're not looking to come up with some just basic theory that you have and then try and pound away to find out why that's going to be the correct answer. What it does is it causes you to look at, at everything, whether it's your economic outlook and your forecast, whether it's an individual uh, investment idea. And it basically wants you to look at a bull case, a base case, and a bear case. And then you look at the factors that would contribute to each of those outcomes, and then you assign probabilities. That way you can then watch it in real time and see and adjust as necessary. And it really eliminates you hanging on too tight to an idea. It lets you watch objectively and it lets you recognize mistakes early. So in other words, if you're coming up with what your bear case might be and you know what factors may contribute and those start to present themselves, you're then not just married to the idea and you're not engaging in something that's really difficult, which is confirmation bias, right? Confirmation bias basically means you're seeking only information and putting more weight on information that confirms your original idea, as opposed to looking and seeing what might be counter to that idea. So MSA really helps us recognize our own biases and we don't necessarily have to see that every idea works. We just have to understand what might not make it work, what might make your base case come true, and as well as your wildest dreams coming true, but you're watching it along the way. So Jonathan, how do you help address the investors' behavioral biases? Yeah, th th this is really meet where, where the rubber meets the road, and this is a, a big part of, I think, where we've really innovated. And again, the first thing again is, is acknowledging some of these biases and then trying to put curbs in, in, in place. My daughter now is, is about to turn 16 and I have two older ones, one in freshman in college and one who, who recently graduated in college. And it makes me think back to when I took them bowling when they were little. And this probably helped me more than it helped them. But you know what, how those little, little bumpers come up that doesn't allow you to throw a gutter ball. It keeps the ball in the lane. You're putting curbs in along the way to try and help keep things on track, to try and keep everything heading in the, in the right direction. And that's what we've tried to do with our investment process. And I think you have to really acknowledge three things. Number one, that volatility matters. The first point, volatility matters, really comes out of prospect theory, the idea that people feel the pain of loss twice as much as the euphoria of a gain. So we always take a risk first approach. This is the challenge when an advisor is sitting at his desk, the market is down and a client will actually call because they're nervous about the market. Whereas if the market is just giving you your easy, steady gains, you're not getting those phone calls. People really feel that pain of loss and, and that's important. So we work intentionally to focus on risk adjusted returns. You want to focus on lower beta and lower standard deviation. And we think this can go a long way if you do it right to keeping a client on course to meet their goals. So that's important. Um, the second point is that people have a craving for action. This is particularly challenging for advisors who are doing more static asset allocation models where, where they're, they're just setting up an allocation Nothing necessarily needs to change because they already have that diversification. But when things get a little rough, they feel like something needs to be done. 
that you actually making changes in the portfolio means that you're trying. And we see this a lot through uh, the Dalbar study. Dalbar study basically shows that the benchmarks get X and individual investors get some number less than X because they're moving in and out of investments based on volatility. Same thing with the Morningstar study. There's a study that shows that the composite returns that a manager might get is very different than what the individual investor experiences because of their going in and out of investments. And that's a pretty challenging thing for a financial advisor who invests in a static asset allocation. There's an expectation of activity. So we think a tactical management sleeve makes sense where it's not the larger part of a portfolio, but you should have and could have a, a, a smaller portion of the portfolio where you might be more defensive at times or more opportunistic if there's there's an opportunity to do that. And then lastly, declines cause panic. And this is really where recency bias comes into play. Recency bias basically states that people will put more stock in what happened more recently than, than more historically or better stated, the idea that the less, uh, the further away you get from a traumatic event, the less impact it has on your decisions. So you really want to have some process for getting out of the way, some some plan in case of emergency. That doesn't mean jumping in and out of cash. We actually do have a cash raise methodology in in our investment process, but it's intentionally stubborn. Sometimes it's just the idea that you can go to cash. That, that will cause an investor to sit back and say, okay, you know what, I have a process for that. So these are some things that we overlay on all our portfolios that we think makes a lot of sense. And it's really helped people stay the course. It's helped people on the other side raising cash, but more often staying the course when normal volatility is, is prevalent in the markets. So Jonathan, podcast, we've talked about FOMO, the fear of missing out. In fact, uh, episode 20 of uh, the podcast was with Morningstar's Dr. Sarah Newcomb, a behavioral scientist there. I'm curious if you share your thoughts around FOMO and how far should advisors go in discouraging their clients from jumping into a momentum play? Yeah, uh, I often say that uh, the day my sister calls and she works in a completely unrelated field to ask about some investment, I know it's probably time to sell. <laughs> Jonathan, I, I've got a brother in the grocery business, and uh, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. This one's tough. I mean, we are living a perfect example of this right now. If you look at the way this recovery has progressed, it's very narrow. We, we've, we've really gone through a, a horrific downturn in the market that bottomed out somewhere at the end of March, I think March 23rd. And then we had this precipitous rise in some of the some of the major indices. But it's really been led by just a handful of sectors, technology primarily, as well as consumer discretionary, which which is very counterintuitive to what's been happening in the world. So there is definitely a, a, a pull, what I might call the siren song of uh, of investing, where investors want, want to leap toward that. Asset allocation and diversification are really designed specifically to reduce risk and provide a stated return over a full business cycle. You really need to remind investors that you're, you're solving for X, especially if you're doing planning. 
So that's important. If, if you have a plan in place, review the plan. Make sure that, that you know where you stand in relation to that plan, as opposed to some arbitrary benchmark or some arbitrary sector return that, that you're seeing out there. That's important. I think setting expectations from the start and reminding people along the way is really helpful. And there's a reversion to the mean. I, I, I think that's, that's an important thing. One of the things that we're seeing and we're looking at is the difference in some of these indexes that we see. So for example, the difference between the large cap and the small, small cap sector right now is over 15%, which is much wider dispersion than historic. And then what we tend to see is we see a reversion to the mean with it, where that gap closes over time. The differential between growth and value now is 35%. And we'll see that close over time. So a lot of these things are temporary. Just because something leads the way in a recovery doesn't mean that that's the thing that, that everybody should jump into. If you maintain your allocation, you could really start to see that things will, will start to even out as I guess this, this market recovery turns into more of an economic recovery when everything starts to soak in. So yeah, fear of missing out is, is definitely a challenge. The key is education, communication, and we do it through articles, videos, slide decks, podcasts like this. You know, Jonathan, I, in the early 2000s, I, 2000s, I was writing uh, shareholder reports at that time, and my whole lineup was contrarian value products and uh, we weren't doing so hot <laughs> and there was this whole discussion on it's a new paradigm it's a new paradigm and I'm wondering with these fang stocks and these tech stocks just you know still dominating the market are, are you hearing that that it is a new paradigm and the old things don't apply so we have heard that but it's not something that we believe we we're really we're really excited about the market going forward. We think that we're going to turn a corner at some point. We're not going to be in the same situation we're in a year, two years from now, we hope. And as, as this, this happens, these things start to equalize. So yeah, we saw the same thing in the 90s and late 90s, early 2000s. But if you then fast forward that, you start to look at the next five years, you got these huge rallies in value that outperformed and small cap that outperformed. So these things have a way of working themselves out over time. So which which is where you really have to be careful trying to just chase the next hot dot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, Jonathan, you and Gary Stringer have been working with us at FlexShares by sharing your insights into what investors look for when they consider utilizing an external manager. And on a planning call for that research project, I, I remember asking you what your firm is doing for clients during the pandemic. And you mentioned that you're helping them or that you have been helping them with ideas and how they can coach their clients. And, and I'm hoping that you'll share some of your best advice on that topic. What can or what should advisors be doing right now? Yeah, there are a number of things that some some great advisors we work with are doing that are just really great best practices. And I think in difficult times, what I'm seeing is that people are really just looking to have some sense of control. And that's difficult in the market, because as we know, we don't control the markets. There are, there are controllables and 
they're very few and far between, but you want to have that sense of control more over your process than over the market. So from our perspective, as an asset manager to the advisor, we're just trying to provide resources that could connect the advisor to the markets in the portfolio, whether that's that's weekly emails talking about the markets and news that's coming out, whether it's a we do a monthly review and outlook, we do an article, we do a, a slide deck, we do a call, we do videos every month to just try and connect with that advisor so that they really understand uh, what's going on and have talking points to discuss with clients. We do trade rationale. Every time we make a trade in the portfolio, we do a very detailed trade rationale that we provide to the advisor executive summary format, what we bought, what we sold and why, what we're seeing. And that could really calm an, an investor's nerves as well as an advisor so that they actually see, as we talked before, that there's actually something going on in the portfolio to try and move things forward in the right direction. We do holding summaries to really connect the advisor to our portfolios. They could see everything we own, when we bought it, why we own it on a single page. It, it's, it's all very important. I think the communication aspect is important. From the advisor to the client, we just think that the advisor needs to be the best source of relevant information. Right now, they're crushed with information. Everybody's working from home, which means that you're close to the television, which which can be very, very dangerous sometimes. All these shows, whether it be political or, or business news, they're paid for eyeballs. They're paid by advertisers. So the more sensationalized things are, the better their ratings. Uh, I think there are some statistics on CNBC that their ratings are are some multiple better on down days in the market than they are on up days in the market. So if, if you're sitting in front of the TV constantly looking at it, it's it's definitely a danger to you from a behavioral perspective. So let's get into the political just a little bit. There's a lot of concern that, and we've seen it today as we're recording, that the election and all the stuff around the presidential election will cause a lot of volatility. And when we talked a few weeks ago, you shared some really interesting insights about what your advisor clients were asking of you in this vein. And I would really appreciate if you could share some of those uh, insights with the audience today. I, I found it really interesting. That that was a crazy week. In, in a single week, and I think this is what you're talking about, in a single week, we got two pretty large accounts in from different advisors from different parts of the country. Our process is unique in that we do have the ability to raise cash and we do have the ability to play defense. One client who was an East Coast client opened their account because they were nervous that Trump would get reelected and that the market was going to crash. And he felt like we were somewhat uh, Trump proof. The other account we got was the exact opposite. Someone on the West Coast that thought that <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> thought that Biden was going to win and the same thing was going to happen. So we're both Trump and Biden proof, I guess, which is crazy. I, I think the version of the chaos you're seeing is dependent on the channel that you watch. And people are so focused on on the election and as part of, uh, I guess, the political game, people are trying to basically say, look, if the market's going to hinge on whether I get elected or not. But the data really does suggest otherwise. And we've, ri we've written extensively about it over the years. One of the most important, I think, was a few years ago, we, we compared Democratic 
versus Republican administrations and market performance over those various administrations. And we really found very little difference. It actually leaned a little bit Democrat, but I think a lot of that was just luck of the draw when certain people took over. Bush didn't inherit anything too great. So, so that, that was rough on him. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, what we find is it's more, in, more important what happens on Main Street than it is inside the Washington Beltway. Certain industries can be impacted. Obviously, you, you didn't want to own coal under Obama, for example, and maybe some of the farmers didn't have such a good run under Trump. So there are certain industries, but on the whole, it's a very, very stable capitalist type society that we live in, and Main Street is where is where the magic happens. So, so the political party that's in power isn't what really affects the market to the extent of, of, of whether the market's going to be up or down in any given day, month, week, or year. So that's important. In terms of this upcoming election, this is so polarized. But we also did some work on not just what's happening in the presidential election, but we also took a look at the senatorial election. We believe that there's not enough change that would cause the Democrats to overcome a filibuster in the Senate. They would have to gain up, up to 60 seats in the Senate. We don't really see that happening. There's just not enough close races there for that to happen. So there will be some things that can get done, budgetary or otherwise, but any major legislation is going to be limited by what can actually get through the Senate as well. So we're really not all that concerned about who wins in, in this election. We think there'll be volatility around it, but at the end of the day, things will continue uh, as they have, where really it's, it's, it's the markets that, that will control it. And as I said, it's going to be more about Main Street than it will be about what happens inside the Beltway. So Jonathan, you talked about helping advisors with client conversations. What other value add concepts do your advisor clients expect from you in Stringer Asset Management? This is a very interesting question. I really love this quote by the late Benjamin Graham from Graham and Dodd fame. He was interviewed, how can we become, the question was, how can we become as successful an investor as you? And he reportedly answered one word, process. And then the follow-up was, okay, what process should I follow? And his reported answer was, it's not about what your process is. It's just that you have one. And in our case, we do offer an investment process an advisor can access, but we also believe that you need to have a process for all other aspects of your business as well. Um, you don't want to simply wing it with anything. And the most important, in our opinion, is communication. So I think you, you can do so much behind the scenes to keep an investor or an advisor on track, whether it's planning, investment implementation, rebalancing, allocation adjustments. If it's not communicated, it really never happened. It's, it's the old tree falling in the woods. Did it really make a sound? A good analogy would be the duck swimming across the pond. Above the water, it's motionless, but below the water, it's paddling like crazy. So we think communication is really key and we try and keep it really three points to keep things on track. It has to be proactive, meaning that don't wait for the phone to ring. Sometimes, especially during times like these, just a, hey, how are you call is, is really important. Uh, and then just listen. It has to be consistent. In other words, you also want to make sure that you're not just calling because, hey, I haven't spoken to that person in a while. 
you want to make sure that, that you have people on a regularly scheduled call or meeting schedule. And it's got to be intentional. It's got to be something that's really related to them. Maybe a better word than intentional would be relevant. I, I think that's very important. You don't want to, in other words, send your uh, millennial millennial client information about, you know, the next municipal bond that you just saw. You want it to be related to their personal situation, their goals and feelings. I think that's important. I think this business is very noble. It's very hard to enter. It's very hard to build and scale. And that's not even thinking about the market challenges that we talked about today. I've seen a lot of people very successful. I've seen some very smart people struggle. I think the common denominator, though, among the most successful people I've encountered is just a process for everything. They have a business development process. They have a client service process. They have a communication process and they have an investment management process. So we try to help you do some of that. And obviously we're happy to work with advisors to share best practices as we see them. But I I think that's all very important. It it truly is a business with a lot of separate parts that can all be considered a full-time job in themselves. Oh, that's great. I love, I really love that. So we try to end these podcasts with some actionable takeaways for listeners. And I'd love it if you would provide just an idea for advisors based on our conversation today. Yeah, this is my favorite. And I've heard it from someone else who I can't remember who I heard it from. So if they're listening, uh, you can tell everybody that it was your idea. <laughs> but at some point, we're all going to get back to normal and offices are going to open and clients are going to come and sit down to review. Um, And this is a very simple tip. And it was a situation that I actually went through. I think you have to set the tone in the waiting room in your office when you're you're looking at retail clients. And there are certain things you never want to do prior to a meeting. And I think the first thing is you never want to sit your clients in a waiting room, forcing them to watch market or political news channels. I have an interesting story where I was going to meet with an advisor and I was sitting in a room with group of clients who were waiting to see their advisor and they had some some show on that was that was market related and it just happened to be you know that 50 50 shot flip a coin it happened to be a really bad day in the market and of course the chiron across the bottom was blinking red saying how you know market down on whatever news it was that day and they were basically sitting there forced to watch this. When they came in, they were smiling and they were laughing. As they sat there waiting for their meeting, they seemed to become more and more agitated as they watched the news of the day, which had nothing to do, obviously, with their plan or their investments. They came in in a great mood. But by the time the advisor came to get them, they were nervous. They were agitated. They seemed a bit panicked. They were actually having conversation about whether or not the market was bad or not. I don't think that they were actually those types of people who were watching it on a regular basis, and they were waiting for this meeting with their advisor to get the temperature of what the markets were doing, and this was their entree to that. When I saw the advisor later, I asked him how his meeting went, and he said it took him a while to get on track, but eventually it worked out, and he claimed he didn't understand why. And it was interesting because he actually put those people in that position to get them agitated. So my tip, actionable idea, DIY channel, travel channel, cartoon network, anything other than any sort of market or political news in your waiting room, I think it could go a long way to starting your meetings off on the right foot. That's a great, that's a great, that is great advice. 
I, uh, I think doctors could do well to heed that advice too when they serve up a, a batch of People magazine and we see beautiful people and we may not think we're as beautiful. Right. So, so Jonathan, thanks again for joining us today and for a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you would like to know more about Stringer Asset Management, just go to stringeram.com. I'm going to spell that. That's S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R-A-M.com. Well, for myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.